0: Hey, everybody. If just one or two people type in um, that you can hear me fine, my mic's great. That would be fantastic. Um, my name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded EventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago, and we've been coaching and mentoring inventors for the last 20 years. We've had students in over 65 countries, and what we focus on is licensing, which is selling it's not selling. I don't like to use this. Some of you guys have a question on this already. You're not selling your idea to a company. You're renting or you're leasing it. And then they pay you a royalty for every unit that they sell. And that's what licensing is. And so if they don't perform, you can take it back. Um, today, I'm, I decided to wear my headset. Hopefully, I give you guys better, slightly better sound. I look a little bit geeky, but you get better sound. So that's what you guys care about, right? had getting good, good answers and having good sounds. So I thought I'd try the headset again today. Um, okay, so let's get started. We got a whole bunch of questions in here. People are starting to flow in. Uh, type your questions into the chat. Uh, I can't always get to, to all of them. Somebody suggested, I forget who it was that, I think it was in the comments of one of the YouTube uh, live shows after the fact that I should copy all the questions and answer those questions first the next time. And I don't know if that makes sense. I'd rather answer the questions for the people that are on and listening right then. Um, Maybe it's because that person didn't get their question answered. I I can possibly answer them all, but I'll try to answer as many as I can. Um, The price is right. I'm doing it for free. Uh, We started doing this uh, during COVID and people seem to really appreciate it. And, you know, you guys are really appreciating it. So I, I'm really enjoying doing it. You guys have incredible questions. And like I always say, I'm a little bit tired. So sorry if I, if I look tired and I look geeky, who cares, right? As long as Andrew has good question answers. Um, but you guys have really good questions. Inventing for most of you, unless you came to it just recently, it's part of who you are, you know? And if I can help you become the inventors that you want to be by guiding you on the business side of things it makes me feel really good um when steven and i started InventRight 20 years ago i was running an Inventors association in silicon valley and i was doing it just because i loved it um not to make money i was volunteering my time i was the president of the group and um, steven saw that he saw how passionate i was about it and we realized there really wasn't something that really guided people the way they needed to be guided, that people were not having success just with information, that they needed uh, more guidance. And so we started InventRight out of a passion for helping people. It was never like, let's start a business so we can make money off of people. That was never, ever the case. And, but now it is a business. I do have uh, 22 people that I I manage and I'm very proud of that. And we support their families and we support all our inventors. Um, But anyway, long enough uh, ramble on that. Um, Let's get started. Uh, uh, Java says, hi, Andrew, my idea is a packaging design, not the packaging machine, but I found a packaging company that makes the packaging machines for multiple food companies. It's a little probably a little confusing you guys. I've done packaging products, so not so much for me. But So he's got a packaging design. It sounds like it's for food companies. And he found a packaging company that makes the machine. So you got a couple players here. You have the company that's making the packaging that the food is going in. You have the company that's making the machine that packages it. And then you have the actual packaging company that packages it. They use the machine, they bought from the machine manufacturer to then package the food for the company that makes the food and sells the food, okay? So his product has to do with that package, I guess. I am not sure how to get royalties if I license my idea to the packaging company. Um, Well, the company you're talking to is the the machine company. So it's really simple. You get a royalty on every time a unit was sold. So if the packaging company um, used this package for five, 10, 15, 20 different companies, Every time they sold a unit, you could get a royalty. And it could be paid from the company doing the packaging for the food company. You could work it out where you're getting it from the food company. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. You could license it to the packaging company, and then they could sub-license it out to the food company. It's not complicated. That's It's more complicated than a regular deal, but that's the gist the of it. So hopefully that's helpful. Um, uh saeed i've designed a product but not sure about the details of its manufacturing process i know the manufacturing process is knowing the manufacturing process necessary should it be included in the ppa most of the time our students or invent right students don't understand exactly how something's manufactured huge percentage of the time and it's really not a problem most of the time could be it depends on the product you know your product you're not going to disclose it here on the live YouTube show, but um, you know, if you can see things that are somewhat similar and it verifies that you know it can be done, and you can even look at the pricing for those similar things to figure out if it could be done. Um, so you can make assumptions, but no, you don't have to put the method of manufacturing in your patent. Now, if you did know it, that can be great, a great thing to protect in addition um to it could almost be a separate patent but you could put it in the same patent as well it's called a met there's no it's what people refer to it as but it's a method of manufacturing patent um it's actually just a utility patent there's just that type of patent for that sort of thing but you could refer some people refer to it as a method of manufacturing patent how is this thing made sometimes you can't protect the idea this is occasionally but you could protect the method of it manufacturing it rolls off the machine then it goes here then it sticks the label here but it gets awfully involved to understand how that manufacturing equipment works and most inventors don't understand it and it's rare that it's a problem for our students if they don't understand it but without knowing your specific invention Saeed I couldn't um couldn't say for sure what applies to you um uh perm says oh and by the way when you type your questions if you have some sort of handle that's not your name or your first name just type your first name at the beginning of the question so i'm not addressing people by weird handles um hi hope everyone's doing well with your ideas and inventions yeah great perm that's great Uh, thank you for wishing everybody well um uh, another weird handle Rainflake. uh hi andrew how about we, we've got this the last two sessions, I think. How about selling my patent as opposed to licensing? No, 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 and no. Um, the only time it makes sense is when you have a company, you have inventory, you have distribution, you have tooling, you're all set. Then you can sell your company in addition to getting a licensing deal and royalties. But it doesn't matter how big they are trying to sell your patents or your product outright is just stupid you'll never get the amount of money as you would if they pay you over time and it did people are like oh this is a really big company yeah but they don't know they don't know for sure themselves if your product's going to be successful so that's too big of a risk for them to take um you wrote if my invention functions the non-retail invention would be revolutionary and by the way never use the word revolutionary you can use it with me this is a safe space you can use it in our group here but never state that to a company it's a green rookie inventor move revolutionary nothing like it never ever use those words um you said it'll be revolutionary i'll be able to get a life settling amount Uh, again terrible words to use for the patent so um i that's probably you know here's this and so i don't know what your invention is Rainflake, but you might be right it might be this god crazy invention that earns millions and millions of dollars a year. I don't know. But most inventions aren't going to aren't going to earn that kind of money. Um you know, you they might earn you 20k a year, it might earn you 50, it might earn you 200k a year. But let's say let's say you're earning 200k a year and it sells for 5 years. That's a million dollars. But this whole thing that you're going to earn a million dollars overnight like in 2 seconds or they're going to give it to you up front is just crap. It just is. And so if you guys are are doing it just for the money, um, I found that it's a total cliche, but you do what you love, the money will come. Um, And I found that to be true. Now I I have no problem with people being motivated by money, but if you really enjoy inventing and, and reaching out to people and all that, um, then you, you, you will be successful. You might license your first, it might be your second or third or fourth. um, And, if you haven't blown a bunch of money on a patent, you'll always be able to move on to your second or third or fourth. That's why we highly advise people file provisional patents. I know a lot of you have filed patents, that's fine. Next time, don't do that. There's absolutely no reason to do it. The reason why people do it is they, they wanna get the warm and fuzzies there protected. But if you file a provisional the day before you're ready to start calling, you got a whole year, to see if there's interest. And if you know how, and you start contacting companies the day after you file it, you'll never need more than a year except with some really rare products. But a lot of people file patents that wanna be protected and they don't start calling companies because they don't know how, they don't feel empowered. So hopefully today's show and our channel, and if later you wanted to sign up for a coaching program, hopefully those things will make you feel empowered enough so you're not just running out filing patents and making prototypes and not contacting companies. Um, But Rainflake, um, don't try to sell it outright, wrong thing to do. You will fail if you do that, um, guaranteed. Don't even bring it up. I've I've talked about this, I think, in the last two sessions. So sorry for talking so much on that. Um, Bradley's saying a few things. I can't talk about other companies, Bradley. We, I'm very careful about that. Uh, I never want to say statements, good, bad, about another company. Get sued for that sort of thing. I just, so I never comment on that. Um, uh, let's see. Henrietta. I have a practical beauty cosmetic makeup accessory with three variations. It, is it difficult to license this market? No, it's, it's, it's a fantastic, uh, category. And that has changed. Steve and I have been doing coaching people and guiding people to license the products for 20 years. And it used to be like some, a few major makeup companies that dominated the category. But, um, as of the last, I, I'm not going to quote how many years, I would say maybe five, six years, maybe more, but at least five, six years, I think. Um, all these smaller um, makeup companies uh, started just popping up all over the place, servicing thing, servicing um, women um, that weren't getting what they needed from the major cosmetic companies and serving different niches and things and so um our students have had great success reaching out to cosmetic companies there's a lot more out there when if there's like if there's only three like for instance in razors there used to be three companies that was it and somebody had a razor i'd be like uh no i don't i don't know that's gonna be hard and um and then other razor companies started coming out too. And I'm like, oh no, you got a nice selection of potential licensees, but um, and the makeup market is the same. It's changed, and so great, great market. I love it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a tough, a bad market to get into at all. Um, Jeff says there are several companies that are not responding to multiple contact attempts. Let me move this up here. Uh, LinkedIn email, phone call. Yeah, that's normal. I mean, if you have 30 companies for a percentage of them to be hard to reach, very normal. Um, do you recommend written correspondence? You mean like a letter? No, I, I'd say that's a pretty much a waste of time these days. Yeah, send a fax. You know, we've been doing this so long. There was a time where we said, send a fax and get their attention. They're not used to getting a fax. 20 years ago, we were saying that. Not anymore. Um, If so, sell sheet in the initial letter, question mark. No, you kind of want to ask permission. Um, You need to reach out to different people on LinkedIn is what I would do, different people within the company. Um, Also, my guess is your approach on LinkedIn is probably not right. You never want to send a request when you, you just request to add them to your network, but you don't put anything, any writing or any requests for help or what you want, just add them to your network. You should also take another look at your LinkedIn profile. If it's not professional, they may be taking a look at that going, I don't wanna add this guy to my network. Like me, I add anybody to my network. I have about 10,000 contacts um, because Steven I've been doing this forever. And uh, But the only thing I look for is, are they an invention scam company? Because I hate those guys. And so I just like looking to see if they're one of those. And then I just deny those. But anybody else I let in. Not everybody's like that. So they might check out your profile. So you're doing something wrong, Jeff. Um, but maybe not that much. Because if you're reaching out to 30 companies and there's four you're having a hard time getting a hold of, pretty normal. I mean, if I don't know what percentage hit rate you're getting on how many, why don't you type that in and later when I get down further, type in, I called this many companies and I got into this many. And then how many times you contacted some of these two. I think that'd be great for other people to hear to kind of set the bar a little bit. Um, Gary Von Gary says, how much more is a patent worth once it's received a patent pending than a patent issued status as opposed to just having having just filed one, can you get a higher royalty rate once it's pending than issued? Some companies could care less if you have a patent at all. Some companies, they kind of like that. You know, if you think about it, it's it's kind of better in some ways, again, looking at all the angles, if it's not issued yet, if it's still pending, because then, you know, it's it's up in the air as to what claims you're going to get. And if that, they were one of very few companies that wanted to work around you, they wouldn't know what claims you're going to get. And it wouldn't be um, as attractive to work around you because it'd be uncertain. So in some ways, uh, having an issued patent is worse. Now, if having a really strong issued patent, um, there could be a benefit to that. And there are some companies that really care about that. Um, but in in a lot of cases, they're not going to give you any more if the patent is issued. And it's utterly ludicrous to wait for a patent to issue to start to try to license it. And if that's your thought, which you didn't say that was your thought, don't ever have that thought, that's just stupid. Because yeah, I should stop using these words, ludicrous, stupid. I, I'm just to try to get your guys' attention, I guess. I'll stop doing that. But, um, so, uh, you know, it's, you, you don't want to wait the two to three years and occasionally a year that it takes for a patent to get issued before you reach out to company, the product might not make sense anymore at that point, something else may have come out, you know, and it's very common that that could happen. So that's just not smart to do that. Oh, I did it again. I said, not smart. Okay. I'll try not to do that. Um, So in some cases it could be the case, you know, there are certain industries that are really obsessed with intellectual property and patents like uh medical device industry if you have new medical devices not something simple like a new scalpel but some sort of new medical device there's certain industries that are patent picky i just came up with that name um and that might that might make a difference but i think in most cases it's not going to make a difference um, but it could so uh every company is different uh Susie says, is there one place to get a list of companies to contact in a particular arena, for example, PET? No, nobody's going to give you a list. You have to figure out the list that's right for your product. So you have to look for companies that are selling in major retailers kind of in that product category. It's not not complex. Everybody thinks it's rocket science. You need to learn how to make a list. And so when, when our students come on board with us, The coach will say, oh, well, based on your product, I'd look here, I'd look there. And the student is making the list. The coach isn't going, here's your list. Oh, I've got a list of uh, 100 pet companies and these 20 are right from you. Here you go. You're not going to learn anything that way. So I was going to say, that's crap. But I'm not going to say that because I'm not not supposed to say that, right? But that thinking is wrong. You need to know how to make your list for companies that are right match for that particular product. So let's say, Susie, you know, long-term, if you love pet and you stay in pet. Um, one of the things that I talk about often in these Q and A's is when you present a product to a company and they turn you down, you didn't waste your time. You made a relationship. Sending them that first product was your opportunity to make that relationship. And so when they say no, then you say, oh, can I, can I send you more in the future? And they're like, oh yeah, sure. You know. And so let's say you did that Susie and you had 40 companies that you'd contact in the past with other products. You would still want to look at each one of their product lines currently to see which companies out of those 40 that, you know, maybe 15 are right for this new product. You want to be respectful. They don't want to continue to see product ideas from you if if you're sending stuff that's not even remotely a right match for them. You know, that's irritating. And um, my business partner, Stephen Key, we, he wrote the book, Become a Professional Inventor, the new book that we got out. And in that book a large percentage of companies says 80 percent of the submissions is like did they even look at our product line did they go to our website because this isn't remotely or too far off from what we would do and so you need to take time to do that so no susie you don't look for a list make your list um but great question these are all great questions um Brandon, number one question, which companies follow U.S. patent laws? I don't know what that means. What you're really saying is which companies would rip you off? I don't really know what that means. Um, you know, in, in the 20 years Steve and I have been doing InventRight with students in 65 countries, I don't know of one of our students that had spoken to a potential licensee, a company they want a license to, and um, the company stole their idea don't know of one yet. Maybe a student that, you know, we train and they've gone out there and then it happened to them. But, and I think the main reason is our students act professionally. Now I talk to, so that is the best form of protection. So for that three or 4% of companies that might mess with you, that's not exact percentage guys. That's my guesstimate. Um, They see, you know what you're doing. They don't mess with you, but they might mess with that wacky inventor that doesn't know what they're doing you know. Um, So I think conducting yourself professionally is actually better protection than a patent. The way you send emails, your presentation, everything, you know, and in the rare case, you get a weird vibe from them. We teach our students to send certain messages that don't sound paranoid at all, but put them on, give them some doubt about additional intellectual property you filed or something else. So they're like guessing and then they don't um, do the idea. I've had plenty of students that were worried about that. Um, I gave them some things to say to the company, not being the paranoid inventor. I know you're going to take my idea. They're not saying things like that. And they track the company's website afterwards. I've never had one come back and say, Andrew, they ended up taking it. You know, Now I've talked to inventors where companies have taken their idea, and in some cases, um, the company didn't, and the vast majority of them. like I think I've talked about this in other Q&As where the inventor, I said, well, okay, they stole your idea, but how long ago did you show it to them? And they're like, three weeks ago, and now I see it on the market. I'm like, there's no company on the face of the planet that can launch a product in three weeks. And I mean – I'm sorry, any inventor that thinks that is whacked and doesn't have any sense of um, logic. I mean, I don't, I don't, hopefully there's none of you guys would ever think that that's the case. Um, but I've talked to a few other inventors where it's happened and, you know, they asked for, who was it before that was asking for money up front um, Rainflake, yeah, was asking that. And so they'll they'll ask for a quarter million up front, hundred thousand up front. And, you know, after the companies got wrapped up in their project and they started moving forward and stuff and the company's like, you know, screw you. And that we're going to go do our own thing and they figure out a way around it. Um, but if the inventor hadn't asked for crazy stuff and hadn't conducted themselves unprofessionally that I don't think it would have happened. It's not a justification that it's okay to do that. But I think treating... Um, the marketing managers and acting professionally from day one is an incredible form of protection that no patent attorney ever talks about because patent attorneys don't know how to approach companies or license anything. Um, And they shouldn't be insulted by that. That's not their job. Um, Paulo says hello from Los Angeles. Hello, Pablo. Um, uh, Invent Factor. Hi, Andrew. Jamie here. We have interest in one of our products from a family of products, okay? What should we look for when they say we can do it, we can add it to a kit or use it as, as a promotional item? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. I'd need to know what the product is. Um, that sounds great. The fact that the great thing is they're asking about what what we want to do this with it. So what you should say is, great, you know, um, here are my ideas for making it a kit or it being a promotional item if that's what they want to do. Where do you want to place it? What do you want to do? You need to adjust. A big part of inventing is adjusting to their comments, maybe even changing the product, God forbid. You know, but change, change the product if you need to. Change how they want to do it and have those discussions. So just talk to them about it. And if you haven't gotten on the phone and talked to them about it, do not do that all via email. Please get on the phone. Um, uh, uh, Reckless. Uh, Hey, Andrew, how can you spot those copycats that turn around and try to copy your invention? Uh, I don't know who those are. I haven't experienced that at InventRight in the last 20 years. Are there companies that will copy other companies products yes but how is that a problem for you 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 want to license your product to a big company and if that big company is selling 80% of the product and the other and some other companies are knocking them off and they're selling 20% of the product congratulations you're successful so you can't avoid copycats in a lot of cases um, you know, I was just talking to on our free webinar tomorrow and it's free for the public. So you guys, if you're not met right students, which most of you aren't, um, we have, um, Jason coming on from Fred and friends and they have really cool, um, uh, functional novelty products They're like kitchen gadgets and they're fun or funny, but they're still functional. And, um, and, and, uh, you know, he was talking about the problem in that. Area of getting knocked off, and they've gotten knocked off. But people recognize the difference between the knockoffs and the originals. And, and yeah, some people buy the knockoffs. And your company that you license to, if they're selling eighty percent because it's popular, twenty percent are knocking off. They might bother to send cease and desist letters and stuff. And it might stop some of them, might not stop all of them. But you know this perception that you get a patent, you protect protect it all around the world, and nobody's going to do anything similar that's that's just not true even if you're a giant company um but you know and it's fine you know it's just fine and get used to it and if you can't and if you still think because your patent attorney told you you know that you can just beat everybody over your head with your patent they're, they're they're wrong um let's see i lost track here what um Rick says, I keep getting this question, do you have enough confidence in a company to not need to file a provisional patent? Um, What we do, what we advise all our students to do in my legal disclaimer is to always file a provisional patent, okay? Um, But I've known inventors that, you know, once you, if you're just gonna show it to one or two companies, you already know first um, and you know them and you've submitted them other products and you have a good relationship with them, I think you could do that. I'm not telling you to do that, Officially, I'm saying seek the services of an attorney, but you could do that. But you know, kind of why a provisional is seventy dollars? Why wouldn't you file it? Um, but if you're very prolific inventor, Rick, I could see scenarios with companies you already know, or you you could do that. I'm not advising you to do that, but you could do that. Um, sometimes people work are very prolific, and yeah, if you if you did ten products in a month. And 10 times 70, that's 700 bucks. You know, it's more about the time it takes you to write it. So if you're very, very prolific, I could see it making sense in certain categories. Um, Brandon says, some companies in the U.S. are Chinese. Yeah, some companies, not many still. I'm seeing a lot more selling on Amazon, but they're not companies with brands so much. They're just schlock and whatever and quite often knocking off something else and making it cheap or what have you. Um, but there are legitimate Chinese companies in the U.S. I think I've mentioned this on some of the other um, live streams. We had a, a student of ours licensed to a Chinese Israeli guy he licensed to a Chinese toilet company that was already had distribution of their toilets in Walmart. Fine. They have, if so the the litmus test is if, you're not going to call a Chinese company and license to them but if they are have distribution in the US there's no difference between them and a US company cuz they have distribution in the US in the stores but you know historically you know Chinese manufacturers were contract manufacturers they manufacture for US companies you know and you license the US company but you're starting to see more and more again I had a a French Canadian and he was living in the Yukon. It's a lot of geography here, huh? And uh, he licensed to a Chinese company that did camping products. And very odd, he licensed a whole line of camping products. For like, what else you have? What else you have? What else you have? I was a little concerned at first, and then like we want to license it all, and they did. And he had no problems with that. Um, But you're not going to like go to Alibaba and look up contract manufacturers. You license to companies that have distribution in the stores you want to be in, not then can just make it. Okay that's the, the, the test. You don't just want somebody, Oh, we have a manufacturing facility. Where do you have distribution? They're like, uh. but if this is, let's say it's the toilet company and they're like, Oh no, we got product at home Depot and Lowe's and Walmart. Okay, great. You know, then, but, and you are going to see more because I think that Chinese companies, they, they don't understand the culture. They don't understand the market. It seems to be changing. Um, but you know, with, with things that are going on in the environment these days, you know some more things are going to be made in the U.S. and some less things are going to be made in China. Um, when 90% of mass are made in China uh, and a lot of other medical things, that's a problem. That's a real problem uh, for for our sovereignty and our well-being and, and all that. And so some of the things are going to change. Um, and a lot of manufacturing has been shifting to Vietnam and other places as well. But I think Vietnam is, it's not as big of a country though, um, is in some ways the the new China with, you know, a lot of manufacturing being done there, but I think they have their limitations. I'm not an expert in that, but um, that's one of the things I've noticed. Um, Mikil, hi Andrew, if I'm only making design changes and not utility changes to an existing product, do I still have to apply for a PPA before I share my sell sheet? Um, Yeah, well, design changes So, you know, a a utility patent is the way something functions. It has new utility and functions, this hinge, and it does this, and you have to claim some sort of functionality or utility. Um, But with a design, if your design doesn't create any new functionality or utility now, then then you can't typically get a uh, utility patent on it. It would be design patent but there is no provisional design patent, unfortunately. And it's going to cost you a hell of a lot more than 70 bucks, probably at least 1500. And it has to be unlike a provisional, which you can write in common English. Any of you can do that with a design patent. The drawing needs to be just a certain way. And you have to have a professional patent drafter do that. And that's a lot of money to spend. And I don't find that that's necessary. Now, there is nothing holding you back and no patent attorney will tell you this, but legally it's perfectly sound. Um, you can file a provisional patent full well knowing it doesn't have any functionality or utility and still legally say patent pending. So you can you can put whatever you want in there and you might guess, as, oh, well, maybe I can get something on this. And you can legally say patent pending. So for 70 bucks, Gary, uh, is it Gary that? now I lost track of who Mikhail, sorry Mikhail. um you can still legally say patent pending and um so even if it's just design changes you can claim some sort of functionality it might be a stretch but legally you can do that and then you can say patent pending on it It puts everybody on notice just perceive protection so that's what I would do in that case in most cases again not legal advice seek the, si- the services of an attorney if you need legal advice um Uh, Okay, so Gary Vaughn, Gary says, how much more value towards your invention does a PCT have? What is the best way to maximize your output after investing in a PCT? Well, the best way is to never file a PCT to begin with. Um, So a PCT is something that you can do it's called the Patent Cooperation Treaty. And what you can do is you can file a provisional patent application. And then within that year, you can file a PCT, which preserves your foreign filing rights, and it gives you another 18 months. And then you can file internationally and and, and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on patents internationally if you want to. But here's the, here's the point that I'm trying to make Gary, it's not directly ask, answer your question, is if you file your provisional patents, the day before you start reaching out to companies, you will never need it more than a year to see if there's interest. And if there is interest, get the company to pay for the PCT if necessary, and then file internationally if they want to file internationally. So that's the best way to approach it. Um, but you asked what's the best way to maximize your output after investing in a PCT? Well, now it's too late. So you filed patents, provisional filed the PCT you're wanting to file around the world. Um, You know, it it gets very, very freaking expensive. So I would work double time to try to get a licensee because it's going to get insanely hundreds of thousands of dollars expensive once you start filing internationally, for the most part, depending on where you file. So, um, uh, you know, but you're already in that situation. So um, license it as fast as you can before you have to start filing internationally because the PCT gives you 18 months to file internationally. So it's giving you another 18 months. So so try to get a licensing deal on the table during that time and then get them to pay for the patents. Um so that's what I that's what I would say. Um let me go to some ones that people I didn't okay. Uh didn't answer Let's see. Okay, PERM says, Wayne here, is is it a sure thing a PPA will get approved? Yes. So 100% of PPAs, they don't even look at it. The only reason why a PPA wouldn't get approved is if, You didn't fill it out, right? You didn't put your address, you didn't pay the fee. Um, What you put in the PPA, you could scribble on it with crayon and they would accept it, okay? Um, So there is no mistake to make there except for not filling out the forms correctly, not what you submit as your PPA. Um, How long does a PPA approval take? How will you get notified it's been approved? Almost everybody I know of these days files electronically so, you know, you, you get back in a couple hours, a day to at most, a, a, a notification that it's been accepted. And you're good. And you can legally say patent pending, which is really cool. You don't have to say provisional patent pending. You can say patent pending, which is cool. So, for those of you that are new, you thought you might like that. Um, Jay says if you filed a non provisional on a technology idea of animated have an animated explainer video. Is it okay to have the video show the full features? And if so, should it only be shown after they sign an NDA? Okay. Is it okay to have the video show the full features? Um, why not? Okay. All right. So what what he's kind of asking is. Uh, uh, should I hide some part of my invention so they can't figure it out and knock me off? And my answer is, show them whatever is required to sell the product. So never hold back on understanding of the invention. It's like this looks interesting, but I'm a little confused. You don't want them to you don't want them to react that way. You want them to feel like, oh yeah, I get it. If my customers saw this, they would want to buy it. So don't hold back on anything that helps them understand the product. Now, if there's complex inner workings of it, you know, if you were showing that video to a consumer, you wouldn't get them all wrapped up in that anyway. So it's fine to to hide that, you know? Um, So always show whatever you need to. And the answer is it's not about NDAs, it's about PPAs. You wanna file a provisional patent application. And if you ask every company you approach to sign an NDA, Many won't. They will sign. They will be happy with you signing theirs, but most won't sign yours up front. And you probably got some advice from an attorney there. But again, don't do anything without getting advice from an attorney. Um, you know this perception that all these companies need to sign some messed up NDA that your attorney gave you, that's going to freak them out, um, is advice from an attorney. Um so you know a lot of times they'll you know they'll want you to sign their n d a and you think about it let's say they get let's say they get a fair amount of ideas they get a hundred ideas a month, so they're okay with their n d a because they read it their attorney did it, but let's say all hundred inventors had a different n d a and they need an attorney on there like almost full time to read every inventor's n d a to make sure that you didn't write in there that, that you own their company or something crazy like that. It's not practical for them to review every NDA. Now, am I saying that you should never send a company NDA? Absolutely not. You know, they've seen the product, they know what it is, and now they want the inner workings of it or a prototype or something else, and then it may, might make sense to get them to sign an NDA after you talk to them. You're probably like, well, that's ass backwards, Andrew. Don't you want them to get them to sign a non-disclosure agreement before you show them anything? And ideally, yes, but it's not practical with most companies in most situations. You're either signing theirs or you do nothing. And your PPA, your provisional patent application shows what you, you're you're protecting. And see, they don't know what you're protecting or not. So, cause they can't see your provisional. So that's great. And so one of the earlier questions were um, is it stronger to have a patent, an issued patent? Well. In some ways, not because they can look at it and go, oh, this is weak. We can get around it here, here, and here if it was one of these unscrupulous companies. Of course, I know I mentioned that's very uncommon, but it could happen. But if it's a PPA, then they can't see it. They have no idea what you protected. Now they've got to call you back. They've got to communicate with you. And now you've got to fish on the hook. So... Um, Most of our students are perfectly happy filing provisional patent applications, but Jay, you need to consult with your attorney on what to do that, do there. And you will feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall if you insist every company sign your NDA. Um, Again, you know, when you with the American Vents Act, you know, it's first true inventor to file. So if you filed a provisional patent and then you sent them your idea, and then they came out with it you know or they filed wanted to file something on their own they're not the first true inventor and you have the emails and everything you sent to prove that you're the first true inventor of that product but again these are the types of things that people ask all the time and like i said in 20 years i don't personally know of an inventor student of ours that is presented to a company and then the company knocked them off um, we've had some close calls but it hasn't happened to the best of my knowledge. Um, but it does happen to some inventors out there. But I think people are afraid of our students because they're like, this person has their shit together. Pardon my language. Um, I said it to get your attention. And I don't want to mess with them. I might mess with that crazy guy from a couple months ago, but we're not going to mess with this guy. We're either going to license it or move on. So conducting yourself professionally is the best form of protection over NDAs, patents, anything else. Um, I like saying that stuff because it's you guys aren't thinking it, and it's it's true. Um, Veronica, my idea is unique and novel, but very simple. I worry maybe too simple, but it took me very long time to get it streamlined and elegant. Do you find licensors respect the effort it takes? Yes, I do find they do. Um, well, not all of them do. I mean, a lot of my like, yeah, I don't, that's eh, not interesting that. Yeah, but you just need one out of a bunch of companies you approach Veronica. So, um, you know, not not all and the marketing manager may see your project number 2 later and they're like, "Oh, that's cool." So, I don't know what you mean by respect, but yeah, I I don't I wouldn't worry that your product is too simple ever. If you feel like it would intrigue a consumer to buy it and if you have the right marketing piece, it, they would show interest and the, the marketing manager is going to look at it and go, "Oh, yeah, if our customers saw this, I think they would be interested." Then you're good. You know, don't worry, it's too simple. I I I think you're you I think some inventors think like, oh, an inventor is somebody like an engineer and they're creating these tremendously complex, really cool, wow inventions when some of it's just stupid simple. I mean, my business partner's book, our book, is one simple idea. And there's a reason for that. So um I Veronica, just go for it. You're good. Go for it. Don't worry about getting respect either. I just just want to get the thing licensed, you know. Um, uh, let's see, Christopher. I have good good night. I have I have uh, maybe English in your first language. Good night. Good night is like goodbye, um, but yes, it is a good night. I have created a solution to a medical condition. I wish to do a PPA, then try to profit via licensing or sale to a large pharma company. Okay. How can I assess my creation's full worth? Um, this, this this question we get often, well, I want to value my patent. You know, it's whatever somebody will pay you for it. So, you know, how you can assess the worth is when you get interest from a company. So again, the, the three things, I always talk about this, is the royalty rate, the price of the product, and the volume being sold. So let's say it's a 5% royalty, the price is $30. And they're going to sell 200,000 units a year. You can do the math. So you have to figure out how much they can sell at what price, at what royalty rate. And that's your value. And then you go, Oh, well yeah, maybe they could sell it for eight years. And then you, you, you figure that out. So you can run those numbers, Christopher, if that gets you excited, you know, on that, on that volume. Um, you know, and by the way, the royalty rate is on the wholesale price. That's the price they sell to the retailer for. So in pharma that might work that way. But, um, Solution to a medical condition. Yeah, you know, you're dealing with FDA stuff and all that. That's going to be a harder product to work on, but you probably already know that. Um, Okay. Uh, Okay, Brandon says I'm looking for a power bank manufacturer, but they're all Chinese. Some are produced in the U.S., but most are Chinese. If the product is is made in the U.S., does do they follow any of our patent laws? It doesn't matter where the product is made; it's where it's sold, Brandon. So it doesn't matter that these companies are Chinese. It, it, quite often with electronics products, you know, the, there's a U.S. company, Canadian, European, and they're getting it made in China, but they're putting their name on it, and 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 they're the brand they're the company and they're who you license to um i don't know how many of them you know i don't know what you mean by power bank manufacturer i need to understand that a little bit better but um i don't know if it's an industrial or consumer product but for consumer products uh quite often it's 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 still a us company even though they're getting it made in china they're not the chinese company isn't selling direct to industry, but it, it, with industry, it's a little bit more common than with consumers. So it could be, but what were your, what was your question here? If the product does, does they, do they follow our patent laws? So there's a theme here, guys, there's a theme. And this theme is I'm afraid of getting ripped off and you gotta knock that off. You gotta, now how I said, I use the word stupid. I knock it off. I got I can't say that either, um, but this is the truth. Most inventors rip themselves off not companies. They rip themselves off out of their own fear. Cuz if you never show your product to anybody, you ripped yourself off. So, you know, I mean, do these so if a Chinese company is selling power bank power banks in the US, they have to abide by US laws. To answer your question, yes. Absolutely they do. I don't care if they're in China, so it's, it's where the product is sold, not where it's manufactured. A US patent protects you in the US, a Canadian patent protects you in Canada, An Australian patent protects you in Australia. It's just that simple. It doesn't matter where the company resides. So now if you're saying, oh, well, they're gonna kind of work around me, whatever, and then go ahead and sell it in the market by not abiding, they, w- they would have to work around it, right? Um, you know, in some way. So anyway, good, good questions, guys. But the, the fear is very clear. Um, okay. Uh, Will says, hi, Andrew. I had a vision of creating my product, doing a Kickstarter the whole nine yards after talking with my partner who has been in the industry for a long time. He thinks licensing is the path. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll give my Kickstarter talk. So Kickstarter is is, oh, then he wrote my issue with, This is by going with licensing, I'll make a lot less money. See, let's address that because we have to split equity as well as the licensing agreement taking a portion. Okay. What should I do? Great, great question, Will. So um, Kickstarter, I I like the grassroots nature of Kickstarter, at least what it used to be, but it's just a mess now, guys. So the thought that you can go on this website, Kickstarter, and do a video and do your pitch for your product and raise money. It was really cool, it was really grassroots. Um, but these days what it is is, you know, you, most people need to spend at least 20K just to promote on Kickstarter these days. Unless you have a massive social network, you know, you're just gonna be lost in a sea of other people doing Kickstarter. Um, so it's not what it used to be there. Another thing is if, you're, if your campaign is successful, quite often there's somebody knocking you off on Amazon before you, you even get going. Whereas when you license to a big company, they push it out there hard and fast in a big way, and you're the first ones out there. So I've seen instances of people going on Kickstarter, and before their campaign's even done, somebody else is selling it on Amazon. Not kidding. So, and that is rampant. People are all over Kickstarter stealing ideas like you wouldn't believe. Um, Now, but those aren't even the two biggest problems. The biggest problem is people fail miserably on Kickstarter to raise the money. That's the first problem. And then the second problem is when they raise the money, they fail to be able to manufacture it and deliver it because it's very hard to manufacture a product yourself and you don't have experience to deliver it. So like my... Our IT guy, James, he, he used to tell me, oh, I got this thing on Kickstarter. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And then i check in with him, like six months, a year, two years later. Did you get that? Oh, no, they haven't delivered it yet. And I'm like, how has it been? Two years? Are you kidding me? So they fail to raise the money because they don't know how to do a proper social media campaign. They fail um, to, to deliver if they did raise enough money. And then when they, if, when they do deliver, it's like, what do you do now? Okay, so I delivered 5,000 units. Do you think Bed Bath & Beyond or Walmart's going to go, oh, my God, you sold 5,000 units? They could care less. So now you're still in that same place. You're one product, one SKU company with no distribution, and big retailers don't want to give you shelf space. You know, and And then in order to do that, you barely got enough money just to fund those orders. Now you don't have enough money. You need God knows how much money. To, to start your own business and sell to major retailers because there's large lag times between the cash flow going out and it coming back in. you know. So Stephen, our other co-founder, he's done nothing but license his whole career, but he's did these little guitar picks that were in the shape of uh, Mickey Mouse and skulls and different things. They sold more at 7-Elevens than at music stores, so It was kind of a novelty. And they were lenticular too, where you change it and it changes the picture. He started that business, a couple of his friends, and they have plenty of money with 200K. This product costs six cents a piece to manufacture. They didn't have enough money with 200K once they started getting orders on a six cent product. It's crazy how much money it takes to start your own business. And then retailers don't like one skew, one product companies. They just don't like you. Um, and if you work tooth and nail to get in there, they will kick you to the curb pretty quickly if you don't create a whole product line. Now it's not about your one product, now you've got this whole business with manufacturer with salespeople and other employees and it's all about the business it's not about the product so much of course it's still about the product but what i mean is you have to enjoy running a business and so people don't look will people don't look at where they're going with venturing and with kickstarter because it won't get most people will fall flat on their face and even raising the money and then when they raise the money they'll fall flat on their face later very few people succeed and because it's a sea of people on there. Now and you got major companies on there promoting their product on there. And it's like, what's that? That's not grassroots. That's, that's not, that's no good. And there's a lot of that going on. So most people do have any modica, mod, mod, moderate success. They need to pay some media firm, at least 20 K if not more to help them out with the publicity. So now let's address your question about um, earning less money. You know, so you sell five thousand units on Kickstarter. You'd be lucky if you make any money on that. But then later you keep going. Well, first of all, you're back at ground zero unless you raise like tons and tons of money. And so you know, if you didn't raise enough money, you're not going to be able to sell it. Um, so, and then if you really do raise some money, what kind of volume are you talking? you Are talking 5,000 a year, 10,000 a year? Like, what are you doing? Where you license this big company. So let's say you have a 20% profit margin, okay? And you sell 5,000 units a year. Well, if you license it to a big company and they sell 100,000 units a year and you're getting a 5% royalty, you know, it's and you have no risk, that's a lot more attractive. Some companies, maybe they only have a 15%, 20% profit margin. They're giving you 5 Let's say they're making 20% profit margin after all their costs. And they're getting 15, you're getting five, and they're taking all that risk. Seems pretty friggin' fair to me. Um, so, you know, but I, you know, it might be eight or 10% royalty or what have you. It might be them selling crazy volume and it might be a 4% or a 3% royalty. 5% is the most common, but you've got this perception you're going to make less. So you might make less per unit, but they're selling crazy volume. So the best thing you can do, in my opinion, Will, is to go with your business partner's advice and try to license it, see what deals you can get on the table. And you will analyze those deals and go, okay, on this deal, we're gonna be earning 150K a year, 200K a year, whatever it is. And you're either okay with that or you're not. You could always go back and venture it if you wanted to. But really, if you're using the licensing business model, I would look at the product and go, well, geez, all these people are experts in the field and they see all these problems with it and they don't wanna license it. It's getting no traction. Maybe we just work on licensing another product instead of mortgaging your house and home and spending two or three years of your life trying to sell it yourself. So, so I, you know, you asked me, what should I do? I'm not going to tell you what to do because it's what's right for you. There are some people that are wired up to run a company, but you need to have mad skills and people management skills and, and you need to be able to raise huge sums of money. And if that's your thing and you have a background in that or you have desire to do that, and you can find people on the team to do what you can't. You don't know how to do. I'm not going to tell people not to start their own business, but this. But if you're doing it just because you think you're going to earn less money, you're doing it for the wrong reasons because you might earn a hell of a lot more money with licensing. But it depends on what kind of deal you cut, right? Um, so let's see. We got about five minutes left. Let's see here. Chad says good suggestions. Yes. For most of these questions, folks need to get the book. One simple idea. So yeah, our, our book is called one simple idea. It's by Stephen key, my business partner. If you just Google it or go on Amazon, yeah, you'll find it. And, uh, I mean, I'm not promoting that to, you know, I'm promoting it cause it was help you. I mean, I think we make 5 cents a book or something like that. Cause we did, um, uh, you know, we don't, you don't make money on books, but, um, So it is a great book Um, and it was always available on audiobook too. But my understanding is we licensed, uh, we um, did a deal with a major publisher, never doing that again. All our other books are are self-published, but that was a long time ago. So it might be going out of audio, which really sucks because some of you really like to listen to audio version. Um, So you might get it while you can. I didn't even check recently if it's still available on audiobook. Rainflake, is there an I, a way to auction an idea for licensing to multiple companies? Um, to me, the worth of my idea is the best offer I receive. No. I said I wouldn't use the word stupid again, but that's stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I can't help myself. Well, you really, you think that a bunch of companies are going to fight for your idea in an auction? Are you kidding me? No. No. I mean what do you think marketing managers at companies have time to go to some auction some patent auction and we're going to buy you know th- that might work for some super um for for silicon valley tech Technology stuff in some way, shape, or form. But for the average product, Rainflake, that's that's not you gotta get out of that mindset, man. You gotta make the effort, you gotta make a sell sheet, gotta make a big list of companies, gotta approach all those companies, and you only need a license to one, you know, and that's what you gotta do. Okay. Uh let's see. brad brad uh said i listened i listened to it over a dozen times before signing up that's the one simple idea book that's cool brad um people say they binge watch our youtube show a lot too i talk to people all the time like oh man i feel like i know you you know i i've been watching you on youtube and my wife came in and she's like what have you been doing the last three hours And oh i'm watching these invent right guys And I'm like, it's very flattering. I don't think I could listen to myself for for three hours. Um, So thank you guys for listening to me. Hopefully you like this stuff. It's hard to find the kind of information that we give. Um, It it is, it is. Um, But we're proud that we provide it. Uh, So uh, Julie says, Hi Andrew, thank you for another full hour of Q&A. Looking for success stories. What is the most popular product InventRight helped launch or the product that was most fun fun launch? You know, I that's a good question. You know, I've, I lose track of it. I, I, you know, when when we have a student that licenses a product, the coach will send an email to everybody in the company saying my student licenses the product. And everybody's like, yeah. And it's like this email chain goes on for the entire day. It's really cool. Um, but I, I just, I don't I don't really look back a lot. I don't I haven't gone back and looked at all the success stories. We got them coming out all the time. Um, you know, and your, your question was, what is the most popular product? I don't know what you mean by popular. You know, we, we don't pry with students and go, how much did you earn? Oh, you're in a million dollars over five years. Oh, okay, we're gonna make this giant check. And we're gonna take a picture of you with this giant check. And we're gonna say, you could be like this invent right student. You know, we don't do crap like that because I I think that's crap. It's it's get rich quick crap. And, and um, I think that a, a lot of inventors fall for get rich quick. They don't use those types of approaches, but invention scam promotion companies. They don't want to steal your idea. They just want your money. Um, there's endless lists of these invention promotion companies. Oh, you don't have to do anything. We'll do it all for you. And they always ask you for 10 or 12 grand and nothing ever happens. Um, so... I think that there's a ton of those companies and and they are selling Get Rich Quick and we we aren't. So I don't know what the most popular product would be, um, you know, uh, or the product that was most fun at launch. Wow. You know, if I, I have to go back on, if you go to our testimonials page, there's a bunch of them on there. There's a lot that aren't on there too. I'd have to go back there. I'd really... I want to say that on the next live stream that I'll go look at, then I'll come back, but I'm probably going to forget to do it to be honest with you because I manage like 22 people. So, and I'm very busy, but that's a really good question. The most fun. I don't know. I need to think on that. I think it's a great question though. Um, You know, and you know what's reminding me of I I need to spend some time. I need to go back. I just like to look forward. I don't like to look back. And although I think looking back at that and just being proud of what we have done as a company and what our students have done, I should look at all those products. You know, I was kind of doing that a little bit today because we were looking for um, speakers for our series. And I was looking at all the companies that our students have licensed to. And so um, I'm doing that anyway. I just started doing that today, Julie. So I'm going to take a closer look at that. I'm going to see if I can come back and and share that story i can't promise i'll do it on the next live stream but share a story or two i guess i i didn't actively think about doing that because i'm not into doing a sales pitch and saying you know buy our program or buy an and and if i just listed an endless list of success stories but i will try to pick which one was uh, pick a couple to talk about i think that's a great thing sorry to ramble on that guys um Retro says he has the audiobook too. Yeah, get it while it's still there. That's not a sales pitch, guys. I just I hear that McGraw Hill is going to cut because they're in a fight with Amazon or something. Um, they're going to cut our audiobook, so you can only get it written. Um, our book is in a lot of languages. One simple idea: it's in Portuguese, but it's not in freaking Spanish. I'm like, what the hell's going on with that? And it's in a ton of other languages too. Um, so let's see, what was it? Oh, 612. I think I got to wrap it up. I got something I promised my wife I would do. So I better help her out there. So, um, blue raspberries. Thanks again so much for doing this. Um, uh, Brad says, know that listening to you, um, banter and rapid fire stories, true tr- truths is informative and entertaining. Uh, in my opinion, thank you, Brad. That's nice. Um, let's see. Uh, Veronica says so glad to have found you guys. Thanks again. Thank you, Veronica. Um, Philip says, uh, also this is the biggest live chat yet. Uh, no, I don't think so. Thank, thank you, Philip. Yeah. We hit 40,000 subscribers on our YouTube for a while there. We're hitting over a hundred people, which is really cool. But, um, you know, we barely promote these and we're, we're at 70 right now. And I think we're a little bit hire before and we barely promote them. So it's, what if we really promoted it? That would be cool. Um, Rick says, thank you for the feedback. It's inspirational. You're welcome, Rick. Um, Clyde, good info. Rainflake, thank you. Marlon, thank you for doing this. And so sorry if I didn't answer all of your questions, guys, I couldn't get to them all. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and again, I, I like to say this, you know, take in the fact that inventing coming up with ideas as part of who you are probably i can't say for all of you um it's really important so take the time to invest in yourself invest in your education invest in getting real life experience by reaching out to companies and you can do it anybody can do this um like tomorrow night we're going to have jason on is it jason just jason yeah jason on i was trying to remember justin no God, now I remember his name. We're having the president of Fred and Friends on tomorrow. And if you look at his, his uh, uh, functional novelty products, anybody could invent this stuff. You know, you could look at these things and anybody could invent stuff that could be his next product. And I know some of you are inventing highly technical things, but you guys can do this. Whether you're non-technical, super technical, you know, you don't have to be super creative either, just a little creative and not don't judge yourselves when you're creative and um but then hunker down do the business side of things keep being creative none of the stuff we're going to teach you is as much fun as coming up with ideas accept it and just do the work and you'll be guys will be great so thank you guys T- take care and uh, keep inventing and we'll catch you the next time see you guys bye